and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Chris. And there is no kitty. <laughs> oh, darn. This week, kitty doesn't <laughs> kitty doesn't feel well, <laughs> and which leaves Chris and I alone to talk about expandable card games. These include collectible or trading card games, living card games, unique card games, and non-randomized card games. What are the pros and cons of each approach? And who do they appeal? And who do they appeal to? <laughs> but first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show: Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sarah Wentworth. No, I'm sorry, Sarah Wentworth, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake, Illinois. Um, and a huge thank you to all of our patients as well. If we ever restarted intros, this would be the one to do it, but we're not going to. So <laughs> that's yeah. If you want to be part of our pre-show, where we talked about my latest possible patreon exclusive video of me reviewing terraforming mars um you can join us on mondays 8 30 tabletopgametalk.com slash live that's 8 30 central time um kitty's missing fletcher you had a headache last week kitty had a headache this week yeah it turns out i have a special it's- power that i can transfer my headache to another random person that i know a week later so it is it is my wife Sydney's birthday today, and I'm recording. But yeah, that's okay. Everyone say happy birthday to Sydney. Happy birthday, Sydney. Excellent. And I know everyone else in the entire world said that just now too. So happy birthday, Sydney. <laughs> um she is I think she just turned twenty-two. So yeah. Um <laughs> I win. I I win. She has two kids at twenty-two and married to me. Really, there's she can only go up from here, right? No, that's, that's how age anyway. works. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Sydney, though, she is putting on a convention that I completely messed up last week. So Fletcher wasn't here. So he does not. Did you listen to our last week episode? I didn't, actually. And, I, and I, I'm meaning to okay. do that. I will do that. All right. That, that's fine. You have no idea what I'm talking then, talking about then. And you can. Um, yeah. So Keyforge Live. This is a convention that's going to happen. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, not Madison, Wisconsin. Um, it's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on July 23rd through the 25th. So that's about, if you're listening to this in real time, uh, five weeks from now. Why they decided to have a convention and only give themselves seven weeks to plan it and do everything, I don't know. But they're doing it and they're actually pulling it off like everything is coming together. And this is looking like it's going to be a pretty successful thing. They may even get some um, visits from actual uh, FFG people that will come out to the convention as well. Nothing's going to be confirmed, but you know, there's, it's, it's a legit thing in the community. We're looking, who's they like a a really fun time. Um, Who is they? Yes. Oh, they are. Archon's corner is the podcast that started this. Sydney is part of the help from future self podcast. And mostly it's her and the Archon's corner group that is putting this on. So it's completely fan run. Um, everything is fan volunteered. There's going to be, and I, I don't know how much of this stuff is actually officially announced yet. So I'm not going to go too much into it, but there's a ton of fan support going into this as well. Um, where in Milwaukee is a question that just came up in the chat. That is at the Milwaukee. Uh, up, 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 up. I'm actually going to click on this link because I, I know exactly where this is. It is in the Four Points by Sheridan in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's right next to the airport. So Four Points by Sheridan, um, Milwaukee Airport Hotel. So if you're flying in, 
soupy as you get to the airport. So that is Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 23rd through the 25th. Sydney will be there. I will be there. Um, if I can get Fletcher to be there, he will be there. Fletcher, do you want to come? Uh, let me check my calendar make sure I'm not doing anything. <laughs> All right. See, this is this is live. This is how this works. And remember, and that is we'll Milwaukee, see. Wisconsin, which is significantly... Milwaukee. Yes, a lot closer to Chicago than <laughs> Madison is. <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, it should be a really fun time. And they're trying to get like as as much as they can to get to make this like a full-fledged KeyForge event. The U.S. has not actually had an official event since everything was canceled back in February of 2020. Uh, so this is like the first live KeyForge event of any significant size. But yeah, check out the webpage. I'm going to put the webpage in the show notes so you can click on it there. But it's keyforgelive.archonscorner.com. And sp- everything's spelled like it sounds. So Fletcher's looked at his calendar. He's giving me the thumbs up. He's like, I'm canceling plans. I'll be there. <laughs> I, I definitely have not done that yet. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, YouTube update. Um, I just well, I released a video this week on justifying a $300 board game, which specifically I was pointing at The Witcher at the time, but barely any $300 board game. Mostly tongue-in-cheek. Kind of fun. Uh, so check that out if you want to. And then in the next a week or so, I'll be releasing two different videos on Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born, or Ashes Reborn, as it's now known. So you can check those out. And yeah, so that's that's our uh, Fletcher. How was your How was your last two weeks? You've had two weeks to be say something interesting. Ready go. Um. So we've done just a whole bunch of work on uh, wedding stuff, and actually, Carmen's bridal shower was um this weekend so we actually wow. yeah we went to um allegan michigan which is a small little town it's kind of close to holland michigan we stayed in grand rapids I, um and uh it was at where a- i went to high school you went to high school where in grand rapids out just outside of grand rapids oh, yep. okay um and uh, that's where the bridal shower was in in allegan at a lake house at um at her bridesmaids, like parents, lake house, and it was a uh, it was really great. It was a lot of fun. Got to go on the lake with the boat, and you know, you know my philosophy on boats: have friends that have boats, so you don't have to buy one. <laughs> as long as someone else has one, you'll get on you'll it. Get on it. <laughs> Make friends with people who have boats and lots of uh, yeah, lots of board games. And in the meantime, you are are you you're not planning your own bachelor party, right? But you are helping coordinate. I'm helping coordinate. Yeah, I'm not. Pl- I'm not planning it per se. Um, I'm just coordinating with everybody that is on the list to find out like who can come um, and what weekends work better. So yeah, Fletcher's an initial, and I really hope I can go. But just so everyone knows, in in case I back out of going to Fletcher's bachelor party, his initial one was on the same weekend that I already have two different weddings planned in two different portions of the country um and then you wanted to be on the west side i have one on the east and then one on the central um all in one labor day weekend i'm vaccinated but i don't want to travel that much (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah yeah we went to the zoo this weekend took the kids to the zoo it was exhausting 85 degree weather sun beating down yeah what did you do today small children what did you get what did you get your wife oh so what did i get oh so all right so birthdays are tricky because Back on my birthday, I almost forgot, but Sydney's mom reminded us that it was my birthday. And then she did the same thing for Sydney. And 
So, I mean, I would have known. I would have remembered. I honestly would have. Um, but ultimately, I got her sushi for lunch and oh, some cards. A and... big spender. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's tricky, though, because, like, we get stuff whenever we want something. We just, you know, go ahead and get it. And and for Mother's Day, Mother's Day wasn't that far away, and I I got like some like some cool things for pictures on the wall and stuff like that. And I can't just reuse that, so I'm like, I have nothing original to do, so I'm just gonna report a, record a podcast on her birthday, and that should be a great gift, right? Couldn't, doesn't no? she like? I don't know. This is uh, this shouldn't be me like trying to come up with gifts for Sydney or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, get get something. Uh, that you probably wouldn't die as wouldn't otherwise already get. Like it's easy for me and Carmen because she really likes, you know, fashion and purses and expensive stuff like that. So it's like, okay, I'm going to buy you an expensive purse or an expensive dress or something like that. Expensive jewelry. Um, I don't think Sydney's really that way. No, she, you know what she did today? She's like, I'm going to treat myself. It's my birthday. She went thrifting. So, <laughs> which I'm gonna I love, knit I'm a like, mitten. I got things covered. You, yeah, you, you go thrift. I will be right here holding the house down. It's all fine. It's good. You're like, I'm gonna watch the kids. Yeah. How about that for a birthday? Yeah, yep. Which I didn't even do that because at the end of the night, she's like, so. For a birthday present, will you put, you know, Zachary do the bath and bedtime? I'm like, I can't. I have to record a podcast. I could do it tomorrow, though. <laughs> Here's an IOU. Yeah. I'm I'm a pretty terrible husband. So I will plug Keyforge Live. This is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 23rd to the 25th. Sign up. Links in the show note. This is my birthday present to Sydney. I need to get at least 20 people signed up through my link. And this is this is what I'm doing. So happy birthday, Sydney. Um, 20 people. Ready? Go. And I will be counting everyone who everyone who signs up. I was gonna promise something, but there's no way for me to you get, track you get you, a high so five. Just you get a high five. You get it you get a, a moral high five for, in general. <laughs> All right. Fletcher, I texted you about an hour ago. This is a half hour before we got on the Zoom. Yes. And you ignored my text. I didn't ignore it. I just didn't see it. So you ignored my text. Yeah. And like I do all your texts. Can you read the text (laughs) the way I do? Can you read my text out loud? Uh, Yes. Let me pull it up right here. Okay. So your text says, how many CCGs have you played? Magic, Hearthstone, Keyforge, et cetera? Question mark. Yep. And your response was a half hour later, sorry, I just saw this with no actual answer. That's because I was signing on because it was, time, said, it, was time to, it, was, it was time to get on. <laughs> and, and what was my response to your sorry, I already saw this? All good. We're doing it either way. Happy face. <laughs> there we go. Not spelled out. So that an, is an emo- uh, <laughs> emoji happy face. So that's that's today's subject. Now, I do want to give a call out to the Covenant cast because they recently did a what are what are LCGs part two type of uh, podcast. They are not the reason that this has been stuck in my head. But what inspired them is also what inspired me partially. But also there's another reason that Flesh and Blood was another reason that inspired me on this. Um so, and Christopher Dong really, really wants an episode on dead CCGs. We should, we should do this that. This is probably as close as you're going to get. Like, today we're going to talk about a lot of CCGs. And we're going to talk about 
the distribution models of these games because they are all different but inspired by essentially the same thing. And the and even Magic the Gathering, which I can say like that was the original, even it was inspired by like baseball cards, right? Like a pack of random cards and open it up and play. But first I want to get some definitions out there. We will use CCG and TCG. That is collectible card games and trading card games interchangeably because there is literally no difference between them at all. Um, besides marketing, a collectible card game sounds more like you got to get them all than a trading card game, which says, hey, trade for what you want. But ultimately, they are exactly the same thing. Yeah, I still use um, TCG uh, personally. Yeah, because that's what TC- I grew up with. Yep. And yeah, you're just going to use the one. But just remember, they're they're interchangeable. It is fine. LCG, this is, and we did an entire episode on this, but just to remind people so you don't have to listen to the entire catalog of 242 episodes to find it. LCG is short for Living Card Game, and it is a trademark by Fantasy Flight Games, which is a card game that is non... I don't like using the term non-collectible, because of course you can collect all of the cards... But it's non-randomized. So you're going to get a block of cards, and each month, another block of cards is going to come out. That block can range from 60 cards in a single pack to maybe uh, 200 cards in a deluxe box or something like that. But ultimately, what that means is if you buy all of the SKUs, one of each, typically, usually the core box, you need multiples. But typically, if you buy all the SKUs, you have all of the cards you need to play that game. Other companies may call this an expandable card game. I'm going to call it a non-random card game just for um, the sake of clarity here. And some company, most companies don't actually say anything at all. It's just an expansion. Here's a card game. Here's an expansion to that card game. Magic the Gathering. How do you feel about... Actually, no. Actually, I, one more thing. Secondary market. Buying from the publisher, distributor, game stores whatever the case is, you're going to pay a certain price for it. Typically, right around the time it releases, there's going to be a set price. Um, That's referred to as MSRP, Manufacturer Suggested Retail Price. Magic no longer has an MSRP. It's sell it for whatever you want. Um, But most things still have an MSRP. And when you buy something at MSRP, you are buying it basically from a distributor or a a retailer at some point. The secondary market is, hey, I want this card and I'm willing to buy it from Fletcher. And Fletcher says, I have this card and I'm willing to sell it to you. Most of the distribution models we're about to talk about do not support the secondary market all that well. And some do better than others. And that's really where I'm most interested in this. But Fletcher, for you, I want to first get a quick rundown. Uh, so I had a comment before I ask you. I had a comment on my video I did on Flesh and Blood, which I will admit was not the most coherent of videos. I was more d- worried about the tech and the lighting than I was the actual content. It was saying that, hey, Chris, I love your board game content, but you should stick with board games because you don't know what you're talking about with card games. Wrong answer. I play far more dueling card games than I do board games, <laughs> and I've done it for much longer Trust me, my opinions may not have been coherent, but they're not non-educated. So, but that said, Fletcher, what is what is your history with collectible card games in general? Whether they be digital, physical, whatever. Um, so starting off, I played 
uh, Magic the Gathering, as probably everybody did uh, in the very beginning in school. Or Pokemon. Yeah. Um, but Magic the Gathering came out first. And I remember playing that game in elementary school. Um, and played that for a little while and that got banned at school and you know i had a bunch of cards and then it was hard to find people to play with um eventually i moved on to pokemon when that became popular got a bunch of pokemon cards um i even got some japanese pokemon cards or had them i don't know where they are anymore uh that fell by the wayside and then much later i got some actually no in between that time i was also playing um star trek um that uh, collectible card game, the TCG, um, and that was that was really difficult to find people to play that game with. And then much later on in college, I kind of got hooked on this game. is called The Eye of Judgment. It was a PlayStation um, trading card game where you it, it's like positional on a on like a tic tac toe grid, um, and you would use like the PlayStation Eye camera. Um, and then that got hacked really quick because essentially it would read the card and then it would put it on the screen. But people found out like, oh, you could just find the whole card library online, print out paper cards because the camera couldn't tell the difference. Because they didn't know. Yeah. And then you could just create your own amazing card deck. Um, I think there was like a couple versions of that that came out, but um, I got sick of that and stopped playing that. Um, and then I played some Hearthstone and that's about it you try to get me into magic the gathering online and that did not work very well for me (laughs) i think overall i'm not i really like these games but i just don't like the slot machine aspect of them yes you also got me into keyforge um which is a little bit different um but again it still has the same kind of slot machine aspect that I feel the pull towards, like, I I just want to keep spending money. And I get, like, the biggest hit of enjoyment when I'm, like, buying the cards and opening up the packs. And then I get less enjoyment, like, I don't know, when I realize that, like, most of the stuff you buy is just, like, not great. And I'm actually not very good at these games. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, and that's what I wanted. that's perfect, because that's what I want to talk about, is these distribution models. That slot machine aspect. And Magic the Gathering... We have to talk about that as our baseline because it really does. It's what every other game aspires to be. Every, and, and this is not true. I'm, I'm using a little bit of hyperbole here, but every game wishes it could be the replacement for Magic the Gathering. And no game will ever be the replacement for Magic the Gathering. Again, hyperbole there because maybe I don't know what's going to replace it. I know it's not flesh and blood. Like, I, I know that that game is not better than Magic the Gathering. It's not better in any aspect than Magic the Gathering. It is a very good game, but it it isn't, it doesn't do what Magic can do. And, and it's one of those things where Magic was the first, and it's still continually been one of the best, because the design space there is just infinite, and they can do whatever they want with it. But here's the thing with Magic the Gathering. Um, if you've never bought a, if you have never played any kind of dueling card game or never felt the slot machine aspect that Fletcher's talking about. The way that Magic the Gathering works is you get a booster pack of cards. They call it a booster pack, which is just a sealed pack of cards. Typically today, there's 15 cards in there, 15 playable cards and one token card. Tokens will be referenced by other cards saying, hey, add a zombie token. And then you've opened up dozens of packs and you have a few zombie tokens you can use 
when it says it. You can also use a penny if you want to. Um, they're just, they're non-playable cards. They don't go in your deck. Um, one of the cards in there is always a land. This is just a super common card, but you need it to play the game. Um, it's actually the weakest part of Magic the Gathering in general is the way that your resources are generated. Yeah. But honestly, even now, I've played I've played dozens, if not hundreds, of games of Magic the Gathering in the past year, and land doesn't it's not really a problem these days. Like there's so many ways of working around it and the mulligans and all that kind of stuff. But that's that's what lands are. Ten of the cards in the pack are gonna be common, three uncommon, one rare or mythic. So it's one one rare or better slot. And that's that's the slot machine mechanic. You open up the pack. You don't care about the common cards, because if you've opened up enough packs, you have all of the commons you need. Um, when we talk about play sets of cards, we're talking about how many cards can go in a tournament legal deck. For Magic, it's four. If you have more than four of any card, you have too many, just go ahead and sell them. If they're common, put them in the bike spokes of your bike, because they are totally worthless in all ways, except for their cardboard. I've seen people make <laughs> coffee tables out of them. Um Literally, I've seen people make coffee tables. I have a friend who made a coffee table out of his commons. But um, the uncommons, they're not worth anything, really. But they tend not to be as throwaway because you're just not getting them nearly as often. And the rares, most rares aren't really worth much either. But the ones that are, are. And they're, they can be worth a lot. Wizards of the Coast, the publisher of Magic the Gathering, works very, very hard at making sure the secondary market is vi- like viable. And it is one of the things that early on, and we'll talk about Flesh and Blood in just a second, because um, Fletch, I don't know, you don't know much about Flesh and Blood, right? No, I was actually looking it up right now as you were just talking about it. Okay, keep looking at it. We'll talk about it in a second. Um, so early on, Magic the Gathering, and this is when I got into Magic Gathering, um, there were two expansions out when I got in. I was early, 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 early into it. They had just rotated out the moxes when I started getting into Magic the Gathering. Uh, but they realized that these cards were going for crazy amounts of money in the aftermarket, and which is great. You want people to be excited about your game. The problem is, if you have a bubble that pops, you are suddenly in a situation where everyone's talking about your game, and then all of a sudden it's valueless, and then everyone's walking away because they're like, uh, this game, like I spent so much money on it, and now none of my stuff is worth anything. And Wizard of the Coast, early on, like I, I think they actually brought in economists on how to how do we maintain the secondary market so that it doesn't pop, that bubble doesn't pop. And essentially what they do is when they print something, they make a print run, and they move on. They don't say that they will never print cards again, but they do say we're moving on and we're this set is done, we're moving on and that's that. The cards that are getting reprinted, like people watch those like crazy because as soon as a card gets reprinted, the value of those cards go down. Now I believe there's something and don't quote me on this. I believe there's something called the reserved list, which are cards that Wizard of the Coast has said they will never reprint. And like uh, dual lands are on the reserve list. So these things just keep rising in value. I have a dual land in a binder that is like gem mint. It would be rated as like a 10 quality and it's worth like a thousand dollars. Like I could literally wow. list this on eBay and sell it overnight for a thousand dollars. Just because I took it out of the pack and I put it in a binder and I've never touched it since. Like it's, it's that fresh and new, but it's also almost 25, 30 years old, right? So that's Magic the Gathering. 
Now let's quickly talk about Flesh and Blood because this, my video only got like 200 views, but it got the most comments of any of my other videos and really, really upset that I said Flesh and Blood was in a bubble and which four weeks ago it was, it popped in the last four weeks. Flesh and Blood is going to be worth nothing, nothing in the next, I would say in the next month or so. There will be no card that sells for over $100. Right now, there's only five cards from each set that even come close to selling for $100. The top sale for one of these cards was $10,000. Now, people will point out that $10,000 card was an alpha print. And this now you're pointing it at an unlimited print of this card. And that how, why that's price is going down. Let's talk about the flesh and blood distribution model. But I'm going to pause. What have you found out about flesh and blood? Uh, well, I was trying to watch a video and listen to you at the same time. And... <laughs> Real-time research. I uh, basically did both of those things poorly, so not a lot. Perfect. <laughs> so I will give you a rundown of Flesh and Blood. They've had four sets come out so far. It originally released the first set just before the pandemic. The designers have said they've called it Flesh and Blood because they want people to play in person. That's their distribution model. Magic the <laughs> Gathering is going... Yep. <laughs> Magic the Gathering is very much going in the opposite direction. They are going more and more online. And Magic the Gathering Arena is how I play Magic the Gathering, and I love it. But um, we'll talk about that, too, at the end when we talk about digital methods of distribution, because Magic Gathering Arena is a little different than physical version. So that was their plan. And the first few months, I would say the first half of the pandemic, nobody was paying attention to Flesh and Blood. You could buy first edition boxes, like booster boxes, for like $75. At some point, it went crazy to the point where boxes were selling for $1,500 for like 24 booster packs or higher, where individual cards were selling for thousands of dollars. The flesh and blood distribution model is player-friendly. It is not secondary market-friendly because their distribution model is this. We're going to release a set of boxes, instead of a, a print run, that we are going to dub first edition. And every print run after that is going to have a little unlimited tag on it. In the first edition boxes, you will be able to get what we've called cold foils. That's the only place you can get them is in first edition boxes. They're, they're really cool. It makes the border look like really, that really pops. It's a really cool foil card. The unlimited boxes don't have them. But the unlimited boxes have everything the first edition boxes had. The cards are identical in every way, and the unlimited boxes are essentially print until demand says don't print anymore, which drives the prices of those cards completely down to nothing. Now, people will argue, and they argued with me in the comments, that, hey, first edition is part of the history of the game. The game is the most amazing thing ever. These games, are this they're going to hold their value, blah, blah, blah. I have not found an alpha or a first edition card that's sold in six months. Nobody wants these cards. Why would you pay 20 times the price for an, a first edition card when you get the exact same card as a second edition card? So, Fletcher, back to the slot machine mechanic. Yeah. Flesh and Bread's distribution model is the same as Magic the Gatherings. They have 12 commons. There's a foil slot. There's a token. And then there's two slots that could be like rare, mythic, or legendary. But they don't stop printing those cards. So you can buy as many as you want. But if you want a full set, you, you're going to be hunting for a little while. But it's really cheap to find them on the aftermarket now because people are opening these things left and right. 
if you have an unlimited quantity of these, are you still in the same situation where it's like, well, I don't really want to buy them because it's still just opening up random cards? Um, it might. So, I mean, this is it's a little difficult because you do get a little bit of fun from like the random aspect. But mm-hmm. at least starting off now and thinking about Magic Gathering or getting into a new card game, like if you are just buying single cards, usually you're buying them because you have a specific deck or or way of playing that you like or that you want to achieve. Um, but ha- not really knowing what that is for me that or for a new player, that is not helpful. I don't know what, what yeah. cards I should buy or, and how, why they're good and, or anything like that. So it's probably still, you know, going yep. to find the, now, the random cards. Yep. I will say there's one nice thing that Flesh and Blood does. And um, so Flesh and Blood, the, the game itself, is different than Magic the Gathering. All these games are very different from each other. Flesh and Blood is based around a hero that you're going to pick, and then you're going to build your deck around that hero. The cards you can include can either be generic or have a trait it's like hearthstone that, that yes yeah that 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 quality or like you have to have the trait that matches your hero um and for that reason you have to have heroes but in each set there's only four heroes and then there's a bunch of cards that work around those heroes which is my actually biggest problem with the game is there's not enough heroes and the decks tend to start to become pretty similar when i'm playing this hero i'm playing that deck but there are these the packs that they call Blitz decks, which is a format you can play. We can just buy that deck, open it up, and play it. And those decks are completely viable and playable and fun. So it's where you start. If you're getting into Flesh and Blood, buy the Blitz deck. They are print until demand goes away. So you should be able to find a Blitz deck for $12 or $13. Buy that deck. Buy There's four of them for each set typically, but only the most recent one are the ones you can get your hands on. Um, buy those, play those, see if you like the game. If you don't, great. You never have to buy another thing. If you do, great. When you open up a new pack, you can start looking at your Blitz decks and be like, okay, what cards do I want to swap? What do these look better than? Flesh and Blood is a good game. It is a good game. The distribution model, in my opinion, screws the secondary market completely, but for the player, it's actually not a bad model. Now, do the players get screwed when there's no secondary market? I say maybe. It depends on... Because now we're going to move on from... I think it depends yeah, on ahead. if you want to like sell your cards or not. If you're not interested in selling yeah. your cards, then you don't care. If you are interested yeah. in selling your cards or using them as speculation or an investment vehicle, then yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. Well, and because Magic, one of the things you can do with Magic is I can spend $500 on booster boxes of Magic, sell back the cards I don't want... And come pretty close to breaking even and end with a whole bunch of extra cards. Yeah. Like, those are all possible things. Um, Terrence mentions the collectible. The collectors can chase the collectible cards and the players get the playing cards. And I agree with that. Um, But the problem is collectors only collect things that actually have value. And there's only value if the players want them. A Black Lotus is not collectible because it's rare. A Black Lotus is collectible because it's an incredibly powerful card and it's rare that's why the magic the gathering black lotus is worth something there are plenty of cards that are just as rare as the black lotus that don't come anywhere near the price of that because they're not as good playable cards so you have to have the players want to have this now let's go the exact opposite let's go away from flesh and blood let's go away from the build a deck model 
and go to Keyforge. Fletcher, what do you like about Keyforge? So what I do like about Keyforge is that you can buy one deck and then you can just play that deck. You don't have to buy anything else. You can you have one playable deck that is good, I guess, for all time. And it kind of it nullifies the slot machine aspect for me like a little bit, but also like not a little bit. Because I remember the very first deck that you gave me <laughs> was actually a terrible, terrible deck. You're just like, here, let's all play. Here's a here's a deck unopened. Um, and it was just a, a really crappy deck. And, you know, just luck of the draw. Um, and then I think later you gave me another one and then I bought a couple. Um, and I still kind of you still kind of feel that pull of like, oh, well, maybe the next deck I buy will be really good. Or maybe the next one I buy will be like super powerful. Um, and I just kind of resist that urge. But it is nice that you can just buy do one like pack. you like the game? I do like the game. Uh, and I do like that it's actually a lot easier to learn and play than Magic. There's so many like, oh, wait, if you're doing that, then I can do this ahead of time. Um, or I can nullify that. Um, the, the rules are just a lot easier with Keyforge. Yeah, Keyforge doesn't actually have any resources. Um, each deck is made up of three different houses. Each house has 12 cards in the deck. And you pick a house each turn, and you can play all of the cards of that house. That That's basically how that works. They just get around resources completely that way. I'm not going to go the rules in most of these games because it doesn't matter. But um, I agree with you on the Keyforge thing. I love the fact I can just open a deck and play. I also love opening decks, which is why I own... More, I'm Sydney and I are probably in the top one percent of Keyforge deck owners on the planet. We're pretty close to about seven hundred decks right now, and that's because we've given away about two hundred. Um, now we we don't buy retail, we don't pay retail prices for these things. Uh, a lot of my decks were like a, a fire sale from Canada where I bought such crazy amounts at like you know fifty cents a deck or something like that. But it- opening decks is fun and just. It creates also that uh, that kind of like unique tournament play style where you just buy an unopened deck and that's the deck you have and you play that deck, which kind of levels the playing field a bit because you don't know what you're getting and it's going to be based on a bit of you know luck based on what kind of deck you get and also skill knowing what's out there and how to play certain cards and what is up against and like what they're good against and what they're weak against. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so much fun. Like sealed Keyforge is my favorite way to play. And at Keyforge Live in Milwaukee, Jan- July 23rd through the 25th, there will be <laughs> on Saturday a three deck. You'll get three mass mutation decks and you'll open them up and you'll pick one and you'll play that through your tournament. It's amazing. Sealed tournaments are fantastic for Keyforge because anyone can walk in and you're all at, like card wise, you're on the same level. Skill wise, you're, you may not be, and that's why you still see people who are really good at this game winning sealed events on a regular basis or placing high on a regular basis because they're good at the game. There's a lot to the game, and the deck the deck does not matter as much in sealed events for sure. So Keyforge is the only unique deck game. And for those who don't know, because um, we haven't actually had well, a few turns a ton, when you open up Keyforge deck, the backs of all the cards have unique artwork. There's a unique name on the deck. You cannot modify these decks in any way. They are one deck. They are unique in their... They're just... That's it. That's what you get. It matters because we're going to talk about another distribution model that comes in decks but is not the same as Keyforge. But first, we have to visit the living card game model. This 
came out before before the unique card game model, but the living card game model, um, trademark Fantasy Flight Games, and really, I don't know how much of it existed before Fantasy Flight Games, besides maybe Dominion, but Dominion doesn't really count because it's not a constructed deck type of game. But what living card games were trying to do was say, look, it's expensive to get into things like Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, where you're buying random packs. We want to create a system that's constantly putting new game, new cards into the system, but you don't have to keep slot machining your way to getting a full collection. So if you decide to get into the Star Wars living card game or the Game of Thrones second edition living card game, both of these games are now complete. They, there's, they don't exist anymore. Um, there's Christopher's uh, dead card game reference. These games, you could buy the core box. Typically, you might need two or three of the core box, depending on the card game, to have a full playset. Again, we go back to the playset being the maximum number of cards you can put in a um, of any one copy into a deck. But all of the expansions to this game, if I was to buy a pack, it would come with a full playset of cards. So the idea was every six months or so, there'd be a deluxe expansion that gave me a bunch of cards and then six follow-up expansions that gave me 60 cards per pack. Awesome. I don't have to go out and buy booster boxes of cards, opening stuff, throwing away cards. I can just stay current with the game. Fletcher, how does this sound for a competitive card game that you might want to play? So I haven't played any of these, um, but honestly, this is the type of game that is seems most appealing to me because you can buy like the base box set and then you can buy the expansions as they come out if you want to and you know that you'll get everything in that expansion there is no slot machine aspect you don't have to like you know buy six of these to make sure you get all the cards um and as an expansion model i i my brain just likes to work like i you know you buy the base game you can have fun with that and then you can buy expansions if you want to as they come out um that's how i want to spend my money and that's how my brain likes games to be i don't want to we'll we'll, we'll talk about it later but then there's like seasons and i don't i don't like that <laughs> so here's the problem because a hundred percent and when these first were introduced everyone was in the same boat the real problem with living card games is if you get in on the ground floor and you're spending 15 dollars a month it's a, it's the best thing ever if i say hey fletcher I want to play, uh, well, let's use Legend of the Five Rings. This is an active card game, uh, active living card game by FFG right now. I'm like, Fletcher, I'm really into Legend of the Five Rings. This is amazing. And I get you into it. I give you a deck. You play it. You feel like, oh, this is awesome. Um, yeah, how do I get into this? Well, there's three years worth of cards that have been released. So now to get into this, if you really want everything, you have to buy three years. But worth the pack but if i don't want everything do i still need to do that can i just buy the base game and then pick up where the expansions you know are current sort of are? sort of um so and this is this goes against different or goes towards different distribution models um and christopher mentions that l5r is not really like that anymore which is true they and this is actually what his comment has prompted this whole thing fantasy flight is changing their distribution models a little bit on multiple things they're trying to theme things out but in general, what was happening before was, yes, you could do that. But the way they did this when they released a pack to make it interesting. Say you were interested in a single, uh, let's use Star Wars because um, I'm 
Actually, no, let's use Game of Thrones because that one is multiple houses, right? So I loved, I like Targaryen and I want to get all the Targaryen cards. So because I'm just going to make Targaryen decks and that's all I'm going to do. Well, every single pack that came out had a Targaryen card in it. Now there's a Targaryen deluxe set that had only, well, mostly Targaryen cards, but all of the little cards had a Targaryen card in it. So if I wanted to collect all the Targaryen cards, I was still getting all of the packs. Or I could design a deck online and say, okay, these, and you could see these are the packs you need to buy to build this deck that you're building online. So yes, you can pick and choose. Yes, you can focus on a particular deck that you like. You can absolutely do that. Um, You're just not going to have everything if you're like that collector mentality. If you're just the player, this is the deck I want to play, and that's what you want to play. It works out just fine, and you can just focus fire where your money goes. Hmm. Okay. So now this goes on and um, actually I'm going to skip. I was going to talk about Dice Masters briefly, but it's really just a random pack. No, 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 no. Dice Masters is important. Um, Someone actually mentioned it earlier in the chat and I ignored, I think it was Darren. Yeah, Darren mentioned this. Um, Dice Masters. And I'm going to mention this because this is something that Dice Masters is a card game with dice that's based off of the Quarriers system, also by, um, not Wizard of the Coast, um, WizKids. And the way that this works is you have a die and you have a card. And there's multiple cards that can go with each die, but you're going to only choose one of them. So when you build a team in Dice Masters, you're going to choose eight cards, and then you're going to choose dice. You're going to put all the dice together for those eight cards. I believe it's four dice per card, but you can pick and choose how many dice. No more than four, but you can have less than um, dice. And so it's a dice building game. As you're playing, you're going to add dice to your... You have some common dice you're going to draw from. And then based on the cards you have, you can add other dice to your bag. And then you, when you're pulling out dice randomly, you roll these dice. So Dice Masters was the random distribution model at the beginning. Magic the Gathering. You got two dice, two cards in each pack. Each pack was a dollar. It's actually not a bad price. For a dollar, you get two dice and two packs, or two cards. It was pretty cool. At some point, they decided to switch over to a more living card or expandable model. So now, when they release something, they release things in campaign boxes, which have all the cards and all the dice in a single campaign box, and you can just buy all of that. And now they even have team kits where when you buy that, that gives you an entire team where it gives you multiple cards you can choose from, but all the dice you need. And here's your, I don't know, Avengers team, or they have a D&D version. So here's your um, Zentorum team or whatever the case might be. Dice Masters decided that, hey, this collectible model isn't working for us. For whatever reason, I actually don't know a lot of the story behind that one because I actually got out before they did this switch. But I just Amazoned it before we jumped on, and these things are still being made. There's still campaign boxes being released. So if you want to play Dice Masters, you can go out there and you buy the campaign boxes for any of these games, and you can play Dice Masters. The collectible versions of these cards seem to have come drastically down in price, though. I don't think the game is as competitive as it once was, which affected the secondary market. And again, we get back to secondary market. Keyforge barely has a secondary market. Um, It exists. There's decks of Keyforge. You can go there and you can list your cards for sale or you list your decks for sale and people might give you offers and stuff. But it's, it's not a super robust market. Living card games don't have a secondary market at all. Why buy them secondary when you can just 
buy all the buy packs. Them. You're not buying individual buy cards. Yeah, right. Um, but Dice Masters, the secondary market, actually, on the older stuff, sort of went down quite a bit. From what I can tell, I don't know. I didn't dig too deep into it. Um, but now that it's in a living version or an expandable version, uh, the secondary market's not nearly as robust as it once was. So let's look. So that is, I'm looking at the time. That is yeah, a bunch of cards. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of cards. Let's talk about co-op games. So this is, we've talked, we started with Magic the Gathering and now we're going to co- go to co-op. There's no bigger opposite, right? Magic Gathering is one-on-one, kill your opponent. That's that's the deal. You can play at co-op. Co-op game. It's, it's more like teams. Uh, it's teams. You can play teams. So let's look at, and I'm I'm going to mention briefly Lord of the Rings, the living card game, because that was the first co-op game that Fantasy Flight put out in this format. But I'm going to actually focus on Arkham Horror because that's the game that I play. And that is actually what stemmed this conversation and what stemmed the Covenant Cast conversation on what what is a living card game anymore. Fletcher, you've not played Arkham Horror. I have not. The no. card game, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So for those who have not played... The way this game works is if you get the core box, you're going to get um, five investigators, which are your heroes that you're going to build your decks around. You're going to get a bunch of cards that you can put in their deck. Each investigator has their own deck building restrictions. And you're going to get three scenarios in that core box. You need to have two core boxes if you want all of the like deck building options. So if you want a full play set of cards, because a play set is two of each of those cards. You can't have more than two of any one card in an Arkham Horror deck. Now, you build your deck, you play through the scenarios. Awesome. Cool. Well, now I'm bored. There's only three scenarios in the core box. I even bought two boxes, but I'm going to throw away all the scenario- other scenario cards because I only need one set of scenario cards. But I want all the other player cards. Fine. Great. Now you have a full player set. You have an extra set of scenario cards that you're putting in bike spokes. And you play through the three <laughs> scenarios over and over and over. That's what you because do. Because we're adults cards, and right? we still put in cards in our bike spokes. Because we want to make that noise. <laughs> we wish we could have a motorcycle, but we can't. We can't. We got to put those cards in the bike spokes. So what now what happens? And this is the distribution model for literal years, I think three and a half, almost four years now, um, we get a deluxe expansion, which is called um, Le Dunwich Legacy. And I think that's Dunwich Legacy. I'm pretty sure. And that has three new scenarios in it. It also has a bunch of new player cards. So if I want the player cards, I need to buy the expansion. If I want to play the scenarios, I want to buy the expansion. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I'm, I am I like this game. I want new cards and a new scenario. Nobody's complaining about this model. I am a little bit because I'm the guy who has two complete play sets of all player cards and an extra set of all scenario cards sitting in a box someplace. But, so you get your deluxe, and then there's six more... Actually, I think there's only two scenarios in the in the deluxe box. And then there's six more scenarios that are going to come out in 60-card packs. Part of that pack is a new scenario. Part of that pack of new player cards. So now, if I want all of the Dunwich Legacy campaign, I'm buying the base box and six more packs that are coming out once a month. This is fun and cool because as these packs come out, I play the new scenario. I have these new cards I can upgrade to. You can discuss online how it went for you. All of these things are really, really cool. And let's see if I can do this. 
We had Paths of Carcosa come out next. And as soon as I put myself on the spot, I'm going to I'm going to fail miserably. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say, look, after Path of Carcosa, there was three or four more that came out afterwards. Um, Circle Undone, Forgotten Age, uh, Innsmouth's Conspiracy is currently um, there's one I'm missing right after Carcosa. I'm looking at the chat. They're not helping me out. That's fine. Uh, but anyway, so this was the model for quite some time. Well, Fantasy Flight has just announced that they're not going to do that model anymore. They're no longer doing monthly packs, which means, except for Marble Champions, which we'll talk about in just a second, Dunwich, I talk about, I did Dunwich. It's Dunwich, Carcosa, what comes after Carcosa? I, I know there's one that comes after Carcosa. It might be Forgotten Age. Anyway, uh, that was me responding to the chat, by the way. But, um... So Arkham Horror, this model is being replaced with every six months, you're going to be able to buy a box. I think it's, I want to say it's $50 or 40, 40 or $50. That is all of the scenario cards. And then you'll be able to buy a box, which is, I think it's 30 or $40, which is all of the player cards. So if I want two player sets, I can buy two player card boxes and then one scenario card box. Or I can buy one of each if I'm a normal human being and I just bought everything before. This new model does not do the drip, drip, drip. It's spend $90 all at once every six months. And this is the new announcement from on from Fantasy Flight on how they're going to do Arkham Horror going forward. So as a living card game Fletcher, co-op, you have not played Arkham Horror, but mm-hmm. I'm like, you really need to get into this game. Here are these starter decks that they released last year. Pick one that looks interesting to you. I will bring the scenario cards and we can play. And now going forward, if you want, you can buy boxes of player cards that you can customize your deck. And you don't need to buy the scenarios because you're playing, you're on my boat, right? You're playing my (laughs) scenario cards. Yeah, (laughs) you get the boat. How does that sound versus buying seven SKUs for each of these cycles going backwards it's like, no, 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 just buy all these player cards and you don't need to worry about the scenario cards. I like that more. I like one, instead of like the slow drip or like the slot machine, I like, okay, like here's a new thing that comes out. You buy this and this is going to be, you know, the game for the next six months. And then six months from now, there'll be another expansion that comes out that you can buy if you want. But if you don't, that's fine. You have a complete game right here. This is the model that I like the most and maybe it's because it's most analogous to video games you buy a video game and then a year later they release an expansion that you can buy if you want and you know another six months later there's another expansion that comes out that you can buy that if you want so and when you're looking at this do you actually still think of it and and this is the big thing there's actually two things that i'm i'm really curious about how you how you think about this is this a card game anymore or is it an expandable board game that uses cards? Because, and, and I'll say, um, What's like Dominion, difference? for example. Exactly. That's the thing. So in Dominion, for example, you each expansion is just, it's a bunch more cards, yeah. right? And, and there's a lot of games like that, which just a bunch more cards. When you no longer have these monthly releases, and this really harpens back to the collectible or the, the competitive card game. When if, if Legends of the Five Rings decided to go with, look, and I think they might have, honestly. I don't know. Legends of the Five Rings was above my head. It's not a game I could get into. It did not seem interesting to me, even though I tried. I really did. But if, let's say Magic came out and said, 
every three months we've been releasing a new set. And it's the slot machine model. But now what we're going to do is every six months, we're just going to release a new pack of cards. Like a bunch of cards. Here you go. If you want them, you can buy them as one thing. I would I would be more into Does that. Does it 100%. like a competitive card game? I mean, yes, because... That, well, that's what you want? Yes, that's what I want. Because to me, like, I was into StarCraft and like StarCraft 2. And you buy the game. Like the game is complete. You have you have the game, and you you win and lose when you you know you play the game online competitively, and you come against better players. And you everybody has like if, if you're paying if you're playing like the same units, like you're playing the same race. Everybody ha- you have access to all the same stuff. It's just based on knowledge, positioning, some luck, you know, skill um that determines the winner and there's different strategies that that come out of that i i don't like the aspect of paying for the best thing or having to like i don't know i I just don't want to i just don't want to pay for the cards that you need to win like oh you need to have this card to win or you need like you need three of these cards in your deck to win I, i have no problem trying to figure out the strategy because that's part of the game when you play competitively but i don't want to have to pay for the game itself like over and over and over again i just just give me the complete set and you know the strategy will evolve yep. out of that and, and and the thing is what you just said i don't necessarily disagree with from the player's standpoint like i don't like when i so flesh and blood if i go back to that i'm playing this i'm playing the blitz decks as a starter deck and i had a friend come over and teach me how to play and he was playing with like some normal cards at the beginning. And then the, the third game we played is like, okay, now I'm going to swap in my legendary cards. And there was, there was absolutely no way I could have beat that deck, which is why those cards were so expensive. They're not that expensive anymore. I feel bad for them. But they're, like, there was no way for me to compete against that. And it felt bad. Yeah. But I will say... And I actually think the Flesh and Blood has some major, major problems. Because their secondary market is so unhealthy, even though they I don't think most people have realized this yet, um, it, it is jeopardizing the game, which is otherwise a very good game. Um, it could be a concern. Now, I do not see Magic ever doing what I just described. No. They're never going to release <laughs> never. a set that, yeah, because their model has but worked I would be for interested them in for almost 30 years. Yeah. Well, and that's why all these other games have come out to try and do that. Ashes Reborn, um, and I'll be releasing some YouTube videos on this in the near future. This is a game that released in, and the way they they released is they had a core set, and each the core set had uh, six different heroes and decks that were pre-built for them. So you could just open up that box, shuffle any of their those pre-made decks together, and play. And then every so often they release another two heroes that you could get, and they had a bunch of um, extra cards. Marvel Champions is very, very similar. Ashes is a c- competitive game. Marvel Champions is a co-op game. But each month you get, well, I think it's um, each month you get a new hero or maybe it's two new heroes. I, it's tricky. The distribution of these is unstable, so it's hard to tell. But both of these are, when you buy a new pack, you have a deck you can just play out of the pack. Open it up, play it. Ashes, open it up, play it. But all of the cards that you open in that deck can be swapped around. You pick out, you pick a Phoenixborn, which is their heroes or champions in that game, and you go. I'm 
Flesh and Blood has heroes. Ashes has heroes. I'm playing both of them actively right now in real life. I have to agree with you, Fletcher. I love the Ashes model. I loathe the Flesh and Blood model. The Flesh and Blood (laughs) distribution model is horrible on so many levels. The reason you do the slot machine is so the publisher can keep printing cards and people keep buying them. It keeps the publisher in business. In Wizard of the Coast slash Hasbro's thing, it makes them billions of dollars. When you do something like Flesh and Blood, where it's like, we're just going to keep printing these forever, then the value is not there, but I still have to pay the slot machine cost. And there's no resale on these cars anymore because they're just, they're unlimited anyway. So there's no secondary market there. Like there's no secondary market to Keyforge. And I love Keyforge. I'm not saying there has to be a secondary market, but Keyforge is not promising me that, it's not giving me that slot machine like I have to keep buying packs to find my cards. Flesh and Blood, I think, is the worst of all possible distribution models. It is really, really bad. And people who love Flesh and Bread are very angry with me right now for saying it, (laughs) but time will tell, and I'm not wrong about this. I'm, I'm just simply not wrong. The prices on the secondary market are showing that it's not a good distribution model. It's a good game, well, terrible distribution model. So, I mean, I don't know what Flesh and Blood is going to do in the future, and maybe you do. But the thing, one of the things that like, I don't like that Magic the Gathering does, and, and um, not Keyforge, uh, Hearthstone kind of does, it's like you have your base set, at least in Hearthstone, and those are good forever. But then when you buy expansions, or, or like, you know, the, the different seasons that come out, like the, the, the expansion kind of, uh, you know, season two, season three, um, cards that you get in your slot machine those are good for a little while but then out of comp- in competitive play they are no longer legal in competitive play so it kind of keeps the churn going because i mean it makes sense from their perspective because eventually if you have all the cards you don't need to buy anymore so you have well, to the churn is important seasons. for two things yeah the churn is important for two things one so you can get rid of old broken cards and two, so you can keep people wanting to buy new cards. Right. Like, that's important in, just in general. And so, like, one of the problems I think Keyforge is ran into early on is they're like, we're not going to do churn. Like, we're not, like, all Keyforge decks are valid all the time, no matter what. And that is actually a problem because it means that the earlier, quote-unquote, broken decks are going to be a problem always going forward so future sets have to take those into consideration all the time so that can be a real problem there but when you're looking at something like flesh and blood i don't know what they're churning out like they do churn occasionally though they say that they're going to rotate out champions that are overpowered um but again who knows what's going on there i don't know i just see this as if you're going to do the slot machine model you need to have a secondary market to support it. If you do the living card game model, that's fine. You can do the living card ma- game model. No worries there. Um, the co-op model, it doesn't really matter what you do. I, I do like the idea that I can buy these packs in a more targeted way. But let's... Um, actually, we are running a little long on time. But let's just briefly touch on the digital model. Because digital models, I think, are... Also very interesting. And so you played Hearthstone. How yep. how did you get new cards in Hearthstone? You, um, well, I tried for a while to you know not buy them, and you just you can just earn them by playing, but you earn them pretty slowly. 
um, when when you're playing Hearthstone. Um, I think you can get like maybe one pack or so a day. Uh, and and that is if you're playing like pretty consistently. Um, otherwise, it's a lot cheaper to just like buy them. And I think it's like a buck ninety nine, and you can buy a pack. And if you buy multiple packs, the price per pack goes down. And I think at one point in time, um, I did spend like either fifty or a hundred dollars all at once, and I just bought like just a mess, just a ton of packs all at once, and opened them up. And I had a lot of fun opening them up and I had a bunch of new cards. And, and at least, you know, the nice thing about digitally, if you get duplicates of cards, you, you know, disenchant them and you can use them to buy other cards that you don't yet have. Um, that's, that's how it works in Hearthstone. I, I think it works something pretty similar in, in Magic the Gathering, right, Chris? Yeah. So in Magic Arena, the distrib- the packs themselves are A, much cheaper. Um, they average maybe a dollar or two. Uh, you convert it to a currency, and then you use that currency to buy the packs. But I think it equates to about a dollar or two per pack. And you get six commons, two uncommons, and a rare. And you have the the possibility of opening up a wild card. And they can open up a wild card in any slot. So common, uncommon, rare, or mythic. And those wild cards you can change to anything you want. So if you want to build a deck later, you can, and you're like, oh, I, I want this card and this card, and you have wild cards, you can convert them over. You can't buy specific cards on Magic the Gathering Arena, though. So if there's like a particular card you want, and you don't yeah. have the wild cards for it, you can't buy it. And you can't buy wild cards. You have to open packs in order to get wild cards. You are guaranteed certain amounts of wild cards as you open packs as well. So Magic Gathering Arena is not a super friendly play-to-earn system, but it is there. If you play and you play enough, you don't really have to pay for any cards. You're just not going to have competitive decks early on. Um, I think I put maybe $100 into Magic Arena um, for one of the sets, the Zinterim set or something. Or I, Actually, I don't remember. It starts with a Z, but I don't. They're all made up names, so I have a hard time remembering them. But um, so but and that gave me fifty to one hundred boosters, something like that. Enough where I'm like, okay, I have a ton of stuff, and I have enough wild cards where I can build whatever deck I want to build. There's also events you can play, so I want to play sealed. Then you're drafting or whatever the case is. There's a bunch of options you can play on Magic Arena, which I really like, and I like that option. It's Magic the Gathering. It's modern sets. It's everything that you can. Do in real life, you can do on Magic the Gathering Arena, and it is a gorgeous game, and it's now available on mobile, so I've been playing it on the iPad lately. It's a great game. Another game I play, so that's, again, just going kind of digital distribution models, you see this kind of the same. Uh, One of the things that's kind of common, and I'm pretty sure Hearthstone does not allow you to trade cards with people, right? Um, It doesn't, no. Yeah, and and that's a pretty common thing with digital cards is you can't trade. Now, I think Magic the Gathering Online, which is different than Magic the Gathering Arena, which still exists, you were able to trade cards, so there was a secondary market for those digital goods. Magic the Gathering Arena does not allow you to trade cards. So whatever you spend on it, you're not getting anything back. There's no secondary market, which is fine for me. I don't really care. I don't want a secondary market. It's casual play. Um, but there's some pretty competitive play on Magic Gathering Arena as well. My main game that I play is Legends of Runeterra, which is a collectible card game, digital collectible card game, based on the League of Legends mythos. And that is so 
player friendly. It's so like you don't have to spend a cent on there and you can earn every card you want. And if you do want to spend cents on there, that's fine. Because if you want to build a particular deck, you can buy like, I want a wild, I want this card. Here's the rarity. This is how much it costs. And you just buy the exact cards you want to build the exact deck you want. It is the most friendly of all of the digital models. It's also a fantastic game. I love Legends of Runeterra. I play it. I probably play a dozen games a day. Literally. Wow. Of this game. Because I can play it in like two to five minutes is how long it takes a game. There's single player modes and like story modes. And then there's dueling modes. But games don't take more than five or ten minutes even in a dual mode. And it's a really, really fun game to play. So all of these different models, and then you know, Marvel United and Ashes. Like, well, Marvel United is kind of the same thing. You're buying hero packs. I already mentioned that. But all of these, all of these different distribution models, they all have their pros and cons. I play six of them, six of these trading card games, well, dueling card games slash co-op card games. Right? Well, actually, I'm not even counting the dueling card games. Um, if I did that, I'd be saying eight. Um, if I was doing co-op and dueling. And I love them all. They all have their pros and cons. I think the one I one I have the biggest complaint about is Flesh and Blood, because I really think they designed a great game and they're destroying it with their distribution model. But maybe not. Maybe it is going to work. Maybe the slot machine with no aftermarket is the way to go. I don't think so. Uh, but that's just my gut telling me that. And, but I don't know. So do you have a preference? I think you've you've mentioned your preference. Um, yeah, I mean, out of all these ones that you talked about, like it'd probably be the co-op um, <laughs> game, or and, and like you said, where they move to the model where you you can play, or you can you can just buy like the the set that you want every every six months. Um, I think that's most like the video game model that I'm used to, instead of like a slow drip of stuff and the slot machine aspect which i kind of just don't like that that would be that would be what i would go for even though i i don't i don't have any i don't i don't have well, uh, i am yeah i don't have that well our next gaming day we'll have to play arkham horror because i do actually think you'd really like the game i think um, I would but too. i'm also glad to hear that this this concept is near the one that you like because this is what ffg is doing going forward and the downside is we don't get to have it is the difference between WandaVision and, well, Disney Plus and Netflix, right? Do we get per week episodes or do we get everything all at once? Oh, Both yeah. of them have their pros and cons. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, does that per week, does that keep the hype up where it keeps the game healthy? Or is, you know, releasing Umbrella Academy every other year, is that enough to keep the game healthy, right? Right. So... Only time will tell. I think it's an interesting discussion. I think it's interesting to just kind of think about what companies have to do. Because honestly, bottom line, it comes down to, yes, they want to make the players happy. But mostly, they need to make sure the bottom line is happy. And for the Arkham Horror Switch, they had to take it from having seven SKUs to two. Because stores could not keep them in stock. They couldn't reprint these things. It was just impractical to have this many SKUs. Yeah, I can see that. That's that's the other side of this. There's always something on the other side. But all right, that is a long enough episode. 
And let's go out. Kitty's not doing this part, so I will do this part. <laughs> Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for our Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. I'm not really good at following Facebook, but Twitter's pretty cool. Want to watch us live? Seriously, watch us live. Come on in. Uh, or just go to tabletopgametalk.com slash live link in the show notes comments or questions feedback at tabletopgametalk.com that's also again how you can enter our 2021 contest giveaway uh we will be drawing names next week so enter now if you have not already entered if you have already entered don't enter now you are good for the week or the year um hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons and we have lots of wonderful patrons that fletcher is going to read to you now Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yonikowski, <laughs> David Sellers, David Raggy, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Timothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Nicholas Lotz, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Lim, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Dan Seed, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, David Garner, Garner, and Darren McClellan. And thank you to everyone who's ever been a patron and anyone who's even thinking about it. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So Fletcher, have you started playing Gloomhaven? Uh, I have not started Just playing. The Lion? I haven't yet. Um, partially because we had a bunch of stuff that we needed to do plus the whole <laughs> bridesmaids thing like this past week i know i like terrence was super super awesome at giving you jaws of the lion and that's this is like weeks before your wedding so we'll, <laughs> we'll see we'll see if it <laughs> i am intending bring it on the honeymoon I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm playing it i, I will play it <laughs> uh i i yeah i just got madara and i'm looking at this game and it looks so amazing and i'm like where am i gonna find 200 hours to play this game like i i just don't know where that's gonna happen so i'm i'm almost tempted to cheat and just read through the story and not play the game just read through the story <laughs> and decide what happens in the different scenarios but like that doesn't seem right either so just read a book <sighs> too many yeah, too many. All right, Fletcher. Let's let people go to sleep. Wait, no. Let's uh, let us get to go to sleep. And <laughs> okay, everyone. Good night. Other <laughs> it's bedtime. Bye. <laughs>